Hi, I'm Pat Basu, President and CEO of Cancer Treatment Centers of America and the host of Focus on Cancer. Many of you may not know, this coming Sunday, April 25th, is what's known as DNA Day, a very special day in the world of science and medicine that marks the discovery of DNA by Watson and Crick in the year 1953 and also recognizes that 50 years later and another incredible human achievement, the sequencing of the human genome. And what many of you do know is the powerful role that genetics plays in all of our lives and certainly in, in cancer care and also in the battle against cancer. And that's really the topic of today's episode. We have an incredibly special guest. Eric Fowler is a world-renowned genetic counselor, a genetic counselor uh, at Cancer Treatment Centers of America who is really gonna walk us through the powerful role that genetics plays in cancer and in fighting cancer. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pat, it's great to be here. Well, Eric, let's, uh, you know, let's, let's start basic and we'll, we'll dive deeper. You know, I know a lot of people probably heard about genetic counseling and, and certainly in the cancer space, but just at a high level, share with us what does a genetic counselor do? So genetic counselors review people's personal and family history information to look for the possibility or the chances of there being an inherited risk for a disease or a genetic condition within a family. We basically go over information about genetics and cancer and talk to people about genetic testing. T tell me what, what got you into uh, genetic counseling? Why, why did you uh, choose to to go down that path and then specifically because genetic counselors I know work in a, a variety of important areas in medicine why why specifically as it relates to uh, to cancer and oncology well when I was 10 years old my grandmother's sister invited me along to do family tree research with her and in the course of us researching our family tree together we got to be really good friends and so I always have had a passion for genealogy and even looking within my own family at how uh, certain genetic conditions or possibly genetic conditions may be passed down. And specifically, the reason that I became interested in genetic counseling in the cancer space is because that same great aunt that got me interested in our family history and genealogy actually passed away from cancer. So it's very personal to me. Well, I'm so, so sorry to hear about uh, that she passed away from cancer. I know it is, uh, it is why uh, so many of us do what we do and why, why you and I have been um, you know, brought to uh, you know, the battle against cancer. But, but thank you for all that you, you do. You mentioned this idea of a family tree and, and, and really how important that is for, you know, for everyone to explore. Uh, nowadays, there are a lot of popular tests such as, uh, you know, um, Ancestry DNA and 23andMe. But what you do as a genetic counselor, especially in the realm of testing for cancer risk, is significantly different. Can you kind of separate those two? Uh, how are they similar? How are they different? Absolutely. The direct-to-consumer genetic tests where a person does not need a physician's order to obtain a testing kit or send a sample in and receive results really pertain more to ancestry, can help 
facilitate genealogy research into the family tree, and really just provide minimal, if any, information about risks for health. The genetic testing that I coordinate for people is very specifically focused on oncology and inherited risks for cancer. We do a deep delve into the genes that we know of that are linked with inherited risks for cancer and provide the type of information that's very detailed, very focused, and can literally change a person's life in terms of knowing about cancer risk. So the direct-to-consumer tests are more general, more basic in terms of the information that are provided. And the genetic testing that I coordinate really looks at that person's genetic makeup to understand if they have an inherited risk for cancer. Eric, another area where, where people might have come across genetic testing, I know sometimes is in the, uh, you know, the, the prenatal uh, space. How is what you do similar or different than the role of, of those who might have encountered prenatal genetics? So some similarities are in both areas of medicine, we actually do take detailed family history information. A cancer-focused family tree is looking more at the cancer histories in a family, ages people were diagnosed with cancer, what types of cancer. And in the prenatal setting, it's more focused on any potential history of genetic conditions within that family. So there are similarities there. Also, in terms of the type of genetic testing, very similar in terms of what we may be looking for on the level of single genes. But oftentimes in cancer, we're using saliva or blood samples to do genetic testing for that individual. But in prenatal genetics, sometimes samples of amniotic fluid are taken or uh, samples, other samples are taken to evaluate uh, the DNA for the baby. And so there's some similarities there, but a lot of differences in terms of the type of information you may obtain from a genetic test result. And before we get too, too much deeper into, you know, certainly the, the impact of genetics on, on cancer care, just the word genetics itself, I think, can sometimes mean a lot of different things to a lot of, to a lot of people. What exactly do we mean? How do you explain genetics and genes to your patients? So I usually start out with the big picture and talk about how our bodies are composed of billions of cells. And inside each cell, we have the genetic information or the DNA. This is like a blueprint for everything from what a person looks like, every trait they have, how their bodies work, even how their cells interact. And we inherit our DNA from each parent, half from mother and half from father. And right now, scientists estimate that people have about 20,000 different genes that make up the human genetic code. And so we're talking about detailed information going from the big picture down to the small. I also mentioned how sometimes genes have mutations in them. These are genetic changes that affect the function of the gene. And most mutations are not inherited, but rather acquired, especially when we're talking about cancer. But the type of genetic testing that I do and what I look for are the inherited mutations that can be passed from parent to child and increase the lifetime risks for certain cancers. And Eric, I'm sure you get this a lot from your patients. It's easy to, to mix up uh, these two terms because they sound very similar to each other. But, you know, on a previous episode, we talked a lot about the role of genomics and genomic testing in, in cancer care and cancer research in contrast to genetics. 
How do you uh, clarify that for, uh, for your patients and our listeners? Uh, basically, genetic testing is done to look for an inherited risk for cancer. We do look for these inherited mutations that can be passed from generation to generation. And the testing is done on healthy cells, blood or saliva typically. Genomic testing is done to look for potentially different treatment options for people who've had a cancer diagnosis, looking for acquired mutations within the tumor cells. And this testing is done on the actual cancer cells rather than the healthy cells we use for genetic testing. So, so we've laid a great foundation. Let's get much more specifically into the incredibly important role that genetics plays in, in cancer care. And you mentioned inherited cancer risk. Um, so there are what, what we refer to as inherited cancer syndromes, which is really, when you look at a family tree, it is a, an increased hereditary risk that is of a certain cancer type that is, that is passing on through uh, that patient's gene pool. And these are often characterized by their specific uh, name of a, of a gene or gene mutation. Um, BRCA is probably one of the more high profile, mo you know, more well-known um, uh, genes that, that gets talked about in, in, in the breast cancer arena. Give us an example of an inherited cancer syndrome, how it works from a genetic standpoint. Maybe almost just kind of take us through one of those examples end to end. Absolutely. So there is a genetic condition that's even more common than having a BRCA1 or 2 mutation or a, the hereditary breast ovarian cancer syndrome. And this condition is called Lynch syndrome. And it's named after Dr. Henry Lynch, who first suspected and then was proven right that there may be an inherited risk involving certain types of cancers in families. And when a person has Lynch syndrome, they have higher risks for colorectal cancer, stomach cancer, endometrial cancer, ovarian cancer, and to a lesser extent, other cancers as well. So knowing that that condition is there can really be very important because it allows that person and family members who may also have testing to really understand what their risks are to be proactive about risk and take steps to manage their care that are empowered. Absolutely, and and it, it, that's a great example of Lynch syndrome. Is it, um, can you clarify, you said something earlier in your comments that you, know, you really focus on, on the inherited cancer risk, but, but obviously there are non-inherited risk factors to developing cancer. Um, let's talk about the difference between inherited uh, genetic risk versus acquired. Uh, I'm sure you talk about that with your patients. Yes. So most changes in genes or what we call mutations are acquired during a person's lifetime. We all go through life, we have exposures to certain things in the environment that may cause DNA damage. So these are acquired mutations and common across probably all cancers that occur. But it's really only about 10 to 15% of people who have a cancer diagnosis actually have an inherited mutation that put them at higher risk for cancer and acted as a susceptibility or a risk to the cancer occurring. And so we can say, you know, really that there's that common genetic basis for cancer, but it's only 
a subset of people with cancer actually have an inherited risk for the diagnosis. And I'd also like to say that having an inherited risk for cancer does not mean that a cancer will happen. It means that the risk is higher than average. What those risks are depend on the gene or the syndrome. So definitely not everybody who's inherited a risk or a mutation that increases their chances for cancer will develop a cancer. So this is probably one of the most important aspects of the show and, and certainly you know how this pertains to genetic testing and cancer. So I think just to be clear, patient, so five to 10% of, of genetic mutations are, are hereditary, remaining, meaning that the others are, are acquired. So let's call it 90 to 95% are acquired, which basically means that even if you do not have a, let's, let's say, uh, an inherited mutation that gets detected on, um, on a genetic screening, it does not mean by any stretch that you are, you know, clear or, or going to be cancer free. And so thus the important role of, of prevention and screening and, and, and diagnostic testing, which, which we've talked about on this show previously. Alternatively, if you have an inherited genetic mutation with a higher predisposition for developing cancer, it doesn't necessarily mean that you will develop cancer for sure. So, so given that, some might say, well, you know, Eric, what, what, you know, why, why get genetic testing in the first place then if, it, if neither pathway is really a, a guarantee of, of safety or a guarantee that you're going to have it, why, you know, why get the testing done in the first place? That's a great question, and definitely patients do ask that. One of the main points is that knowing you have a higher risk for cancer can allow for very specific screening options to be undertaken and covered by insurance companies. These tests, for example, with Lynch syndrome, colonoscopies, starting colonoscopies by age 20 to 30 years old and repeating them every one to two years is the recommendation. You could find a precancerous polyp and remove it thereby preventing that colon cancer from ever starting. So it can change in terms of screening. We may offer risk-reducing options that can reduce the possibilities of a future cancer happening. Again, with Lynn syndrome, an example would be the higher risk of uterine or endometrial cancer for women with the condition, where uh, with the, the medical guidelines we discuss, women with Lynch syndrome would consider a risk-reducing surgery, a hysterectomy to reduce their risks. So it's really knowing what the risk is to be able to either find cancers earlier if they were to happen or reduce their risks of occurring. And also in some cases to really uh, reinforce the importance of our behaviors, our lifestyle choices. There are certain genes that increase the risk for melanoma. And if somebody knows they have a mutation, one of those genes, Hopefully it would reinforce them, uh, their behavior to do what we all know we should do, which is to wear sunscreen if we're out and we're in the sun for long periods of time. Also to wear protective clothing and even possibly to choose a career path that didn't keep them outside doing their work. So really there's a lot of aspects to how knowing there's an inherited risk can change medical management. Uh, risk and statistics can be a hard thing to to fully, you know, individualize. 
But oftentimes, you know, I use metaphors such as, uh, you know, if you're driving a car and you know that you you have a bad wheel or maybe you inherited a bad wheel, that is not a guarantee of a, you know, of a car accident down the road, but you're you're going to be more cautious about it. You're going to pay attention to it. If there's something you can do to, of course, correct that, you will. Um, and and so much of, of what we're talking about is about risk understanding, risk mitigation or, and or risk reduction. And then, as you said before, altering behaviors, altering future therapies that um, that can that can keep patients as safe and away from this horrible disease as possible. Furthermore, Eric, uh, you know, obviously, as you know, genetic testing can help inform the treatment decisions once uh, a patient does uh, develop cancer if they're going to. So tell us more about, about the role that genetic, uh, inherited genetic risk can play not only in the diagnosis of cancer, but how that can alter the way that we would actually treat a cancer that's been diagnosed. It was very exciting within the last several years when there was research done that showed if a person had a certain genetic mutation that was inherited, for example, BRCA1 and 2 mutations, that could be helpful to the oncologist in guiding specific treatment options and recommendations for that person. So for example, people who have BRCA1 or 2 mutations with certain types of breast cancer, ovarian, prostate, or pancreatic cancer, maybe offer different sorts of targeted therapies that they wouldn't otherwise be offered. And that's really a conversation between the oncologist and that individual in the context of their genetic test results. But it's really exciting times because I can remember many years when there were no such options like that available and genetic testing and results were not ever referred to or used in that capacity. And Eric, we talked again, and you did a great job explaining the difference between genetic testing and genomic testing. Can you kind of maybe double click into into that concept where let's just say a patient has had a positive finding, a, a inherited genetic risk of a certain cancer with a cancer type. How might genomic testing of the tumor itself play in or out of that scenario? Can you give us maybe an example? Sure. So um, with the, the finding of an inherited risk for cancer on genetic testing, you may or may not find that same marker in a genomic test. Probably most of the time you would, but there are times because the tumor DNA is, can be very different from what's present in other cells in the body. So knowing that there is an inherited risk, you may you know, not have that information from the genomic test itself. Um, genomic testing is, again, looking for changes in the DNA, DNA in tumor cells. There are times when genetic mutations that are inherited may show up in the tumor. Now, we can't differentiate what's inherited or not, and you know, times when they don't. So sometimes it's good to double check and you may have some discrepancy between genetic and genomic test results. Very, very helpful. And as we're having this discussion, I'm sure some in our audience are saying, you know, I'm convinced that I, I, I'd like to get tested. I need to get tested. It's not exactly that simple. It's not sort of, you know, yes or no. Talk to us about the decision to, uh, you know, to get genetic testing. Genetic testing is definitely a very personal decision. 
And basically, at this point in time, there's not population-wide genetic testing to screen for inherited risks for cancer, although that has been discussed within the genetics community. The reason that there is not population-wide screening for inherited risks for cancer, there's several. Uh, one of which is there are far more people who do not have an inherited risk for cancer in the population at large than those who do. So you would do many, many, many tests potentially to find a person with an inherited risk. Another reason is cost. Who would pay for the genetic testing? And there definitely are criteria, medical criteria, that guide physicians and clinicians and genetic counselors on offering genetic testing to people, but also insurance criteria. And without those criteria being met by an insurance company's uh, perspective, genetic testing may not be covered. And another thing to consider is that when we do genetic testing, we don't always get informative test results. There's times where a genetic test may find something that's uncertain or unclear in a gene. And so genetic testing does have the potential to raise questions. So these are all things that have to be considered when someone embarks on the genetic counseling or genetic testing journey. So Eric, who then should get considered for genetic testing? There are guidelines that have been published and they've been refined over the years and they're constantly changing as we learn more. But in general, if a person has been diagnosed with cancer at an earlier than average age, say under 50, or if they have a relative with a diagnosis at an earlier age, that might be a consideration. If you have multiple people in the same family who've had the same type of cancer or even different cancers that can track back to an, the same inherited risk, if there's a generation to gener generation pattern of cancer in a family where you may see a grandparent, their child, the grandchild with cancers coming down that line of the family, that is suspicious that there could be an inherited risk. And also some aspects of ancestry can play a part for example, if someone has Eastern European or Ashkenazi Jewish heritage, that does increase the odds in the setting of uh, a breast, ovarian, pancreatic, or prostate cancer, that there may be an inherited risk. So we take all these things into account. But then something more new in terms of being an indication for a genetics consult are the genomic test results. When we do genomic testing, we're looking at the DNA in the cancer cells to help guide treatment. However, if somebody has inherited a risk for cancer, if they've inherited a mutation, it's there at conception and likely in every cell in their body. So often, if somebody does have an inherited risk for cancer, we'll see some suggestion of that on the genomic test results where we find a, a difference in a gene that is a gene that we know is linked with inherited risks for cancer. Just by virtue of the genomic test results, we can't tell if what we're seeing is inherited or not. And so to better understand that, a referral to a genetic counselor and then genetic testing will help to differentiate between differences in genes on the genomic test and the tumor that are acquired or are inherited. And one example of this is I worked with a man once who had lung cancer and he on his genomic test had an alteration in the BRCA, 
BRCA gene, one of the BRCA genes, I believe it was BRCA2. And he had no significant family history of any BRCA-related cancers, no breast, no ovarian, no pancreatic cancer, but just that presence of that marker in the tumor DNA prompted the referral by the oncologist. We did genetic testing and we did find that that BRCA alteration in the tumor was present in healthy cells as well and therefore was an inherited risk, which was of immense help to his family members, several of whom went on to have genetic testing and tested positive. And we never would have evaluated that person or family or offered genetic testing otherwise. Well, well, that's a that's a very poignant example and a, a really good segue. And that actually a, a thought that I or a question maybe I had for you is, aside from the ability of a patient to reduce their cancer risk, there are other reasons why a patient might want to pursue genetic uh, testing for personal reasons. What would you say are the most common reasons you hear from patients? I think the most common reason that I hear is a concern for children. A person saying, I'm doing this test not only for myself, but also to help inform my children of any potential risk that they could have inherited from me. Sometimes people are also looking for answers as to why they had a cancer diagnosed. And while genetic testing and a positive result where we find a mutation may not be the only answer, it does give us a window into that person having a higher baseline risk or risk to start with that they could have had a cancer in the first place. So sometimes people are looking for answers. And also, as we've been talking about for you know that proactive aspect, that planning aspect, that ability to address a personalized risk based on a positive genetic test result. So I think these are probably the main reasons and motivations people have to proceed with a genetic test looking for an inherited risk for cancer. So Eric, what are some things that people should be mindful of or, or cognizant of when seeking genetic testing? Pat, I think one of the most important things is to, as much as a person can, think ahead we each know ourselves better than anybody else in the world to think about what if I did test positive for a mutation and inherited risk for cancer? How would knowing that impact me on a day-to-day -day basis? Is it something that I would be able to put out of my mind until screenings or interventions come up? Or would it be something that would be present and thought about you know, more often? Also family relationships, because genetic testing can impact an entire family and finding an inherited risk. For example, if two sisters tested positive for a BRCA mutation, but the third sister didn't in that family, how would the sisters who tested positive feel about their sister who tested negative? And vice versa, that person who didn't inherit the mutation, would she have survivor guilt? Would she feel guilty that even though it was out of her control, that she inherited that risk herself? So that's definitely one of the important things to consider also insurance coverage and costs. Will the testing be covered? What would be the potential cost if it wasn't? Genetic counselors are specially trained to look at that information and help act as a guide to people through the genetic testing process. And also to talk about privacy of the information. How will this information be kept in my medical record? Who will have access to it? These are very important things to think about, and it's part of the genetic counseling process that we talk to people about these things 
and work with them so that they can think through these processes and these possibilities. You, you know, your example of the the sisters and the in the BRCA mutation or so many other powerful examples of the kind of the consequences of getting positive results, it, it brings up a, a you know, what will seem like a simple question, but I think a really important one is what are the various results that you can get from a, a genetic test? The positive result that we've been focusing on is, as we mentioned, we do find an inherited risk for cancer. There is a mutation that can be passed from parent to child. Uh, close family members of that person, like children and siblings, would each have a 50% or one in two possibility that they also inherited that risk. The second result is a negative result where we do the test and we find no differences of any kind in any of the genes that were evaluated. And in many ways, this is hopeful because it does significantly reduce the odds of an inherited risk for that person and in that family. But I think that there are genes yet to be discovered and it's likely that genetic testing techniques will improve in the future. So we always encourage people to check in periodically who've had genetic testing without any findings. The third result is neither a positive or a negative. It's where we do genetic testing and we may find a difference or what we call a variant in a gene. And whether that variant has any impact on how the gene works or consequently risks for cancer is uncertain or unknown. So that's an inconclusive test result. And so the genetic counseling does involve reviewing all these possibilities with people. So they're prepared for whatever the outcome may be. And the last two results, the negative and the inconclusive, are kind of lumped together into the uninformative test result category. We didn't find any proof of an inherited risk. There were no markers found, but yet at the same time, you still have to pay attention to family and personal histories and guiding care. So, you know, a relatively finite set of options there. Of course, the the inconclusive is, is you know, one of those results that across the board can sometimes be a little bit frustrating, I would say, you know, for, for folks, even though, as we discussed earlier, a positive is not a guarantee of developing cancer, a negative is not a guarantee of, of not developing cancer. So I think that should be taken in context. But what happens next after an inconclusive test? More tests are performed or surveillance or what 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 do you do you recommend to patients in that case? After an inconclusive test result, we refer back to that person's personal and family histories to help guide future cancer screening. And so that's an important part of the process. In terms of additional genetic testing after an inconclusive, uh, typically not. What happens is the genetic testing laboratory, and these are independent laboratories, reference laboratories, not affiliated with any hospital or clinic. The genetic testing laboratory will keep watching that particular variant as more families are tested to see if they find that variant in other uh, people who are tested through the laboratory. They will watch research studies that are published to see if there's any new data on that particular variant to you know, allow them to form an opinion about whether that variant is meaningful. And also some labs have uh, internal ways that they can evaluate a variant that may provide even additional information with further um, 
studies on the sample that's already been received. That may not happen this year or next, but it could happen in the future. So if an inconclusive test result is reclassified, whether as an inherited risk or a benign change in the gene that doesn't matter, the ordering physician's office or genetic counselor is notified of that update, and then we reach out to that person. And most of the time, when a variant that's unclear or what we call a variant of unknown significance is figured out or reclassified, it turns into a benign change in the gene that does not have an impact on risk. So Eric, uh, after that tremendous explanation of, of the testing process on the foundation of, of everything you already covered, it brings me to, to probably one of the most important points is I, I find the role of genetic counselor to be you know, one of the most important in not only just healthcare, but very specifically in, in cancer care. Uh, I think just your explanations, your very uh, coherent walkthrough of of the process and the results is, has illustrated that. But let's kind of talk about the role of the genetic counselor in the, the cancer care continuum. Can you share for our audience sort of the progression of how, you know, a patient interacts with, with you or, or a genetic counselor in, in cancer care, you know, the role of of, um, you know, how you help them interpret the results, so on and so forth. Sure. So typically, uh, a person would be referred by a physician or an advanced practitioner like a physician's assistant or nurse practitioner for the genetics consult. The initial session or what we sometimes call the pretest genetic counseling session is one where the genetic counselor gets a sense of that person's personal and family history, the likelihood there could be an inherited risk, and we really review the option of genetic testing. Genetic counselors by training are non-directive, which means we never recommend a genetic test to somebody, but rather we work with that person to help them explore their motivations to have or not to have a genetic test, and we act as support in that way. After the initial genetics consult, if that person is going to have a genetic test, the genetic counselor will help coordinate that testing. There's the sample collection, which typically is blood or saliva. There are consent forms for genetic testing, which are that person's written permission to have the genetic testing, which cover the, com the contents of the genetics consult. And then once genetic test results are back, they are then relayed to that person. Uh, for a post-counseling session, whether a telephone conversation, an in-person consult, a telehealth visit, where the results are reviewed in detail on how they impact not only that person, but their family members too. And in, in order to, you know, go through just the important technical aspects of, of genetic testing, let alone, as you mentioned before, the, the deeply personal um, psycho, you know, potentially psychological impacts that, that these can have. What type of education and training should people, you know, be familiar with when it comes to speaking to their, their genetic counselor? Genetic counselors uh, typically come from an undergraduate background of biology, uh, chemistry, sometimes psychology. 
and then we go on to get master's degrees in medical genetics or genetic counseling. So it really is a unique combination of the science aspect of genetics and the counseling aspects to be able to provide emotional support to people when they may be learning difficult information or going through the genetic testing process. Genetic counselors are certified by the American Board of Genetic Counseling, and about two-thirds of states in the U.S. have licensure available for genetic counseling. So genetic counselors, depending on where they live, always uh, are reaching towards being board certified or board eligible and state by state obtaining their licensure for genetic counseling. Well, Eric, this has just been such a, a great walkthrough into an important and sometimes, you know, maybe under covered or under sort of appreciated, you know, aspect of, uh, you know, a real foundational, very important aspect of, of the battle against cancer. Tremendous strides have already been made in, in our ability to, um, you know, to look for inherited cancer risk, our ability to, as we mentioned, alter the treatment based on those findings. But, but paint for us, you know, your vision of the future. What might we expect? How will the field evolve uh, in, say, you know, five or 10 years? What will, what will we be able to do that we can't do today? I think that there will be new genes identified that are linked with inherited risks for cancer, genes that we do not know about today, cannot test today. So that's an ongoing, evolving process. It takes the identification of a candidate gene to then proving there's cause and effect with that gene and cancer. But I do think we're going to find more genes of that type. I think the genetic testing technologies will be improving where they'll be even more accurate than they are today. And they are very, very accurate today. And I think there's going to be more availability of targeted therapies and treatments based on finding somebody does have an inherited risk for cancer than we have available today, which are just for certain genes and future uh, certain cancer types. So in the future, I think we have a lot of hope looking forward that genetics will be an even better tool than it is today to help people and families through the cancer journey. Wow, what a uh, what a tremendous vision, and uh, just what a you know what a privilege to have you on the show, Eric. This has been uh, uh, you know terrific, and I know incredibly uh, educational for so many of our listeners. I really appreciate everything that you do. I know firsthand how much uh, patients appreciate what you do, and. Uh, we're grateful for your time and uh, and and thank you. Keep 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 up the great work. It's uh, it's great to see you. Thank you. Great to be here.